Okay, well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 12. <clears throat> the text will also be in front of you on the screen. And just a reminder <clears throat> that this, um, this liturgy is available on our website. If you go to our website, ascensionpc.org, you go to the worship page. It's a link on the, at the top of that page. And uh, I think it's especially helpful if you print it out because um, you can go through it on paper for yourself or have it available for your kids because there's like a coloring page uh, at the end there, uh, sort of a Palm Sunday themed uh, coloring page for today. So, <clears throat> uh, so John 12, um, <clears throat> sorry, I, I sucked down a lot of pollen and sawdust yesterday, so clearing my throat a bit today. Um, so we're living in a time, obviously we've been talking about, uh, when our fears have been brought to the surface. Uh, it's not just that we're becoming afraid as if for the first time, it's just that, um, they're being brought to the surface. There seem to be times when people generally feel themselves invincible, when our fears are relatively easy to suppress or manage. Uh, this is not one of those times right now. We feel very vincible. That's actually a word. Uh, I was on a conference call with my uh, pastor friends this week, and one of them lamented how many of their congregants seem to be gripped by deep fears about the coronavirus, deep, deep fears about the economy uh, or their personal uh, finances. Uh, the officers of Ascension have talked about this a bit too. We've all got our own fears that uh, we need help with, uh, we need God's help with, we need to help each other with. It's, uh, it's easy to be afraid of what's happening, to let the nagging uncertainties of life just pile up on top of each other, uh, to obsess over them to the point of anxiety. It's also really easy to fear monger, uh, to stoke the fears of others and keep us all living in an atmosphere of fear. Uh, what, we, what we really need is for someone, uh, someone like, oh, say, the, the sovereign king of the universe <laughs> to assure us that he's, he's actually taking good care of us. And uh, we need for him to calm our fears. That would be good news for people like us. That would be something worth proclaiming and celebrating uh, at times like this, like on Palm Sunday. Um, so let's talk about that from our Palm Sunday passage uh, from John's Good News. Again, chapter 12. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus, your son, and in the fellowship of your spirit, we come to you for help in time of need. We have nowhere else to go. And uh, even though we don't deserve an audience with you, you have invited us to come as your own children. So we pray that you would comfort and encourage us by your gospel as only you can do. Uh, amen. John 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So taken just by itself, this, uh, this Palm Sunday passage, it's a beautiful, happy moment of celebration. Uh, the Lord Jesus walks the earth 
Uh, Jesus tells of the kingdom of God. He works wonders. He heals the sick. He frees those demonically oppressed. He even raises the dead. Is there anything he can't do? Is there anything that could possibly stop him? And look, here he comes. Here comes the king into the capital city of the people of God for the great festival. You can just imagine the electricity in the air. Imagine the excitement of the crowd. Imagine the singing and dancing and fanfare surrounding Jesus. They welcome him as people welcome their king victorious in battle. That's what the palm branches are about. Um, I've got some palm branches right here. A living palm tree. <clears throat> right? That's what they did. They waved palm branches to celebrate their, their king's victory in battle. And they cry out with this psalm, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh, even the king of Israel. And this is right. They should do that. Everybody should do that. Jesus deserves all praise, honor, and glory as the king of all the earth, the king of all men, women, and children. But then as you extend out to a broader historical context, you realize that the crowd's reception is largely based on a misunderstanding. It says in verse 16, even his own disciples didn't really understand the significance of the events of that first Palm Sunday. So you can be sure that the larger crowds didn't realize what was happening either. <clears throat> we know what they wanted. We know what they wanted from a king and from a savior. It's the same things that we would want from a king. Someone to make life easier. Someone to take away all our troubles and pains and cares. Someone to free us from oppressive governments and put control of our lives back into our own hands. Someone to make us strong. Someone to make us invincible. Jesus has demonstrated that he can do all these things. He can do anything and no one seems to be able to stop him from doing whatever it is that he wants. But Jesus challenges their misunderstanding and he challenges our misunderstanding by riding into the city on the humble donkey's colt. He doesn't come to exemplify our ideals of power or to achieve our kinds of goals and dreams. This king comes in humility and he comes in faithful service. This king makes war, yes, but not upon our earthly enemies. Jesus makes war upon enmity itself. And he makes war upon the sinful pride that's at the root of our enmity with God and with each other. This king chooses the way of self-sacrifice. This king allows usurpers to strip him and beat him and mock him and kill him. This king demonstrates a power that looks to us at first glance like a complete loss of control over the situation. But the crowd doesn't even pause to consider the strangeness of the donkey riding bit. <clears throat> so the, the crowd is right to celebrate the coming of the king. But they're stuck in their own imagination about what that means. And when they begin to realize what Jesus is really like, that he won't fulfill their expectations, they become disappointed and frustrated with him, and they go mad. The city will uh, shortly demand the king's blood. They will chant for his blood for the most terrible reasons. And the astounding thing is that he willingly gives it to them. He came for this very purpose. And even though it appears that things are getting out of hand, even though it seems that, in fact, Jesus can be stopped, that his enemies can get the better of him, that death can thwart him, he willingly, resolutely goes to the cross. No one forces him to go. He goes with the purpose and the composure of a king. 
He goes according to the plan of God his Father, which he always fulfills. And even though it seems his enemies can stop him, no one can stop him. All the, the misunderstanding of all the people wouldn't stop him. And all their ill intentions wouldn't stop him. Nothing they could muster in their hearts, nothing of their schemes, none of their words, none of their actions could stop him. None of their sanctimonious compliance or flattery could stop him. None of their faltering weaknesses could stop him. None of their willful ignorance could stop him. None of their fearful efforts to control could stop him. None of their blatant treason could stop him. There's nothing in heaven or on earth, whether conceivable or inconceivable, that could deter the king from doing what he had come to do. And his coming meant true freedom, true security, the true celebration of a true feast. <clears throat> we might wish that he had come to make life more comfortable, uh, to take care of us financially, especially at times like this, to give us good health and greater autonomy. But he came for such a better purpose that those things pale in comparison because he came to restore our life with God. Do you know what that means? He came to make things right between us and the one through whom and for whom all things exist. He came to reunite us with the one who's at the very heart of all reality, out of whose fellowship we had fallen through our own sin. He came to grant us access to the most holy so that we could always and forever live with God as our father, rather than dying an eternal death apart from him. And Jesus has done it. He said it is finished. The king came. He sought us. He found us. He rescued us. All our efforts to escape or to oppose his gracious rule have been graciously overruled and overthrown and forgiven. We have God as our father now, and God has us as his treasured possession. Even though we all, by nature, have bad expectations for him, he still came for us. Even though our turn to the dark side had been complete, even though we sought to control him, he still came for us. Even though we still struggle to understand him and his ways, even though we still wonder why he won't fix everything in our lives and in this world, Jesus came for us. He came on his own terms, not on ours. He came for his own purposes, not for ours. He came riding on his donkey. He went to his cross. He came to give new meaning to the words King and Lord. And he will come again. And you remember all those things that couldn't stop him before? The, the sanctimonious uh, compliance and the flattery, the faltering weaknesses, the willful ignorance and fearful efforts to control and blatant re treason that couldn't stop him before? When he comes again, he'll deliver us from the last vestige of all these things. And if he were not coming, then you should be afraid of basically everything and everyone, and especially of God himself. Because if we had no good and sovereign king, then we should have to manage life on our own. That's actually the very nightmare we've willingly embraced in our sin as we've rejected the lordship of God and of his Christ that we have to manage life on our own. It's an existence that's filled with uncertainty, unpredictability, anxiety, and terror in the vain attempt to control the world around us, or at least to maintain the illusion of control. 
The current circumstances have stripped away those illusions and exposed the reality that was always true, that we don't know everything and we have no control. And the last ditch attempt to maintain some kind of control is actually fear-mongering, which is a warped attempt that says, well, we may not be able to control what's coming, but at least I can make you afraid of it. At least I have that power. <laughs> That's a miserable existence, one of fear. Uh, and if we knew any better, at least we would be afraid of God himself. Our greatest fear should be his wrath at our rebellion. Our greatest fear should be that there is no good and sovereign king coming for us. <clears throat> but this is the ancient and true word of the Lord. Verse 15 of our passage, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Our greatest need is for a king who will take care of us better than we hoped, better than we imagined, a king who will take care of us better than we ever knew we even needed, a king who will take care of us better than we could ever possibly take care of ourselves, a king who will take care of us better than we deserve. That's our greatest need. Never fear, we do have this king. His name is Jesus. He's king of all those who don't understand God and his ways perfectly. Fear not. Jesus understands everything perfectly and you can trust him. He's the king of all those who are managing poorly and doing life all wrong. Fear not. Jesus does all things well. You can rest in him. He's the king of all those who have lost control of their lives. Fear not. Nothing surprises him. And he can do all things for the good of his people. And you never were in control anyway, not really. Jesus is Lord. He alone is sovereign, which is exactly as it should be. He is coming. Nothing can stop him. He's coming for us. He's coming in spite of us. He's coming, and it's nothing but good news. So fear not, beloved child of God. Fear not, royal bride of the anointed one. Your king is coming. That's good reason for a Palm Sunday celebration. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, on this day, this, uh, this Palm Sunday, so many thousands of years removed from the original when Jesus walked the earth, we pray that you would fill us with even more joy and celebration at the fact that he has arrived with kingly purpose to take away our sins, um, to reconcile us to yourself, to grant us eternal life with you. Fill us with joyful celebration at the idea that he will come again to fully establish his kingdom on earth, that he will make all things right. We pray that you would take away all our fears through the knowledge of this gospel. We do know who Jesus is. We do know what he has done for us. We do know his good promises, which are true and will come to pass. And so we pray that this knowledge of the gospel will uh, remove all our fears. Um, remove and, uh, and relegate uh, to the dustbin any fear at all that we might have, especially during this trying time where it exposes our fears and our fears uh, begin to surface and bubble, uh, bubble up and take more and more uh, time in our thoughts and in our hearts. We pray that you would eradicate the fears of our hearts through your gracious love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going <clears> to <throat> confess our faith together.